And welcome back to another episode of Real Talk. As always, Jeff here and Brad. Brad, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, man. Uh, I think we have a fun little podcast in store that kind of started from a Facebook poll that we took uh, earlier this week when I kind of just asked everybody, what are they looking for in a podcast? Are they looking for a 30-minute drive podcast? Are they looking for something that's between 40, 45 minutes? Are they looking for something that's about an hour? Or are they just looking for good content? Whatever that whatever that content is, is they'll be happy with. And you had kind of gave me a call this week and said, hey, I think we need to really strive to put out good content. And something that I had kind of pitched to you and you liked is the idea of a, uh, a question and answer from the Facebook group, as well as me and you bouncing live questions off each other without pre-rehearsing it or talking about it. So uh, that's what we have in store. Any last comments before we get started? No, oh, man, let's start with the Facebook questions. Okay. Uh, first question comes to us from Andrew Bradish. Uh, and this is, I think we both agreed, uh, this is one of the funner questions we got. Which quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end would have benefited the most from playing in today's era versus the era they actually played in? Uh, I'm going to start off with the QB. We'll talk there. So the way I interpreted this is <clears throat> I'm trying to pick a quarterback that needs to benefit. I think the initial the initial response would be Dan Marino. You know, and Dan Marino is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Could he benefit by winning a Super Bowl? Absolutely. Could he benefit from maybe being in the top three QB discussions. I think a lot of people leave him out at this point. Um, yeah, he probably could, but ultimately I'm looking for somebody that could benefit in today's era. And I think when I think that I think a running quarterback, Vince young is one that comes to mind. Um, for those of you that maybe are my age or a little bit older, uh, Dennis Dixon, uh, one of the first ever like chip Kelly, Oregon duck quarterbacks. Um, even Terrell Pryor from more recently from Ohio State. What are you thinking, Brad? What what's uh what's a quarterback that you think maybe could could strive I, in today's league? I guess the way I interpret it is, you know, I didn't watch a lot of guys, especially before two thousand. I mean, maybe a lot of people watching the podcast did or didn't. But I think of people who maybe are names that we know, but I think could have filled up the stat sheet or maybe got more silverware in the trophy room due to the new era so when you say a guy like Dan Marino I mean everyone that I've talked to that has seen him play says from shoulder to fingertip he's the best quarterback to ever play and you look at a league that's more passing and like more pass friendly I think Dan Marino he would he would be more stat heavy than a guy like Drew Brees I think from what most people tell me but I also think of running quarterbacks I think that's where people would go to first with how dual threat and how there's more athletes playing quarterback and even a guy like Michael Vick if there I mean I think it's even talked about sometimes how there was no offense built for him everything he did was off script and I couldn't imagine if a guy like Kyle Shanahan Andy Reid or even John Harbaugh with Lamar got a hold of a guy like a Michael Vick you know what what could have been if they weren't stingy on a quarterback with his abilities. Yeah, I actually probably agree that Michael Vick is the 
I Michael Vick is just shy of being a Hall of Famer because his career was kind of cut short from his own wrongdoings. And you can make your own opinions on Michael Vick and whatever not. But when with Michael Vick had a good head, like as he does now, he's a completely changed man. Um, in today's league, I, I agree with you. I think he's a league MVP. I think he is. He's probably a better thrower of the football than Lamar Jackson is. Uh, I mean, I, he definitely has a better arm than Lamar. Yeah, Jackson. I think I think he's got more explosive arm, but I do think Lamar has a little bit more touch. That's fair. But either way, they've both got their weaknesses in the passing game. Yeah, I think we could probably still agree though that a running quarterback from the past insert them into today, they have a better chance of succeeding. Are we agreeing there? Randall Cunningham. Yeah. Randall Cunningham. Perfect. Yeah. Another good one. Frank Tarkenton. You know, there's, we could, we could go on all day. I mean, honestly, if you have some sort of running ability in today's league where it's more of a spread and there's more, uh, you're not, you're not dropping back first in order to run. Maybe you can take out of the shotgun. Maybe there's designed runs. You, You would succeed better in a short passing game than having to be under center, play action pass, look downfield and then run. So I think we're in agreement there. Yeah. Um, a running back, somebody that I kind of thought to myself, I'm like, okay, who's, who's a very good running back, but also a very good receiving back. And somebody that, somebody that comes to mind, Brian Westbrook from the Eagles. Uh, most people that are our age know who Brian Westbrook is. He was a very good running back. He caught 40 to 50 balls a year. But uh, maybe in today's league, maybe he would have caught 60 to 70 balls a year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, again, not watching so much football before 2000s, a lot of greats come to my, like, what I think of that maybe would have even done better. And uh, you think of guys like Marshall Falk had McCaffrey numbers before McCaffrey when it wasn't normal, or LT, or a guy even going way back like Gale Sayers. Anyone with uh, kind of the straight line speed, I mean, I just think they would have been, I mean, they were, like I said, they were great when they played, but I don't know, with, with the way that it's, I just feel like, they would get way more catches and they would be way more of a dual threat player because the straight up just running back is kind of dead in today's NFL. I mean, even guys like Nick Chubb, Zeke, Dalvin cook, they still catch 30 to 50 balls out of the backfield every year. So I don't know. You look at the, the Saquon Barkley's, the Christian McCaffrey's, the Alvin Kamara's, that's the kind of running back. I think that is going to take it away here in the future of the NFL. Yeah, somebody that's going to probably end up missing out on the Hall of Fame. I don't have his numbers in front of me or anything, but Chris Johnson, CJ2K. Definitely somebody that, if we would have prolonged his career a little bit to today's league, probably would have been better than he was. And he was really good for a short amount of time. And that's just all we kind of seen. But with his speed in space like it is today, I don't know. I think he probably would have had a better career today than he did five or so years ago. I think the league started changing to this kind of running back towards the tail end of his career, but I think Jamal Charles could have ended up having a Hall of Fame career if he would have been maybe six years later in his career. But he, he I think he missed where he, he would have been the best in the NFL by, by about a half a decade. Yeah, Jamal Charles was special too. <sighs> Wide receiver. 
this one's really tough because the only thing I can think of is basically your 70s to 80s to 90 receivers where it wasn't so much of a dominant passing league and you insert them today where they have the opportunity to catch 70 balls where they didn't then. Receivers are receivers. I don't think there's too much change. Maybe you disagree. I don't necessarily have somebody that just jumps off the page. But, you know, obviously you got, what, Jerry Rice, Lynn Swan. Um, I mean, those are two elite receivers I just gave you. Uh, you know, a Patriot, Stanley Morgan. You know, he was a very good receiver. His son's actually in the league now. Um, wasn't always part of a passing offense, though. So, obviously, uh, there, there's lots of guys. I mean, I don't I don't have anybody at six hours. There's somebody that jumps off the page. You, like, definitely – I, I think uh, Lynn Swan's more of a popular name, but a lot of people I know that saw the Steelers say that John Stallworth was a better receiver. And when you watch Lynn Swan, he, he's, he's not really a physical guy. He was built for, like, the speed and the spectacular catch. And with the way you can't be as physical with receivers, I thought Lynn Swan, you know, everyone knows kind of who he is because the Steelers were the first real, like, dynasty in the NFL in the 70s. So everyone knows him because of, you know, his rings and his plays in the Super Bowl. But I think he could have been in the top 10 receivers ever discussion if he would have played in a more modern era than when, I mean, literally be body slamming wide receivers back then. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't have anybody that comes to mind outside of what you just kind of said. I mean, anybody that you could pick up that's six four back in the day and insert them in today's league they're probably gonna have a chance to succeed just it's a completely different league i mean the speed even the small guys are succeeding today a guy like west walker julian edelman even deshaun jackson who's a pretty short receiver but extremely fast quickness things like that um nobody comes to mind you know brandon stokely back in the day played with peyton he okay. was a solid receiver. I think he would probably be a very good possession receiver in today's league. But I don't know. That's that's just more of a – it's it's very hard for me to say, okay, somebody from 30 years ago when I wasn't even alive. You know what I mean? You couldn't even really have I, – I mean, I feel like you couldn't even really have small receivers back in yeah. different eras because it was so physical. So it really opens up the door for your Wes Walkers, your Tyler Lockett's, you know, those gadget guys in today's NFL that – would have just been tossed around. Yeah. So there's a lot of names we probably never got a chance to hear from. Yeah. Uh, tight end. I actually have a very strong opinion on this one. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and you do not know who Ben Coates is, I want you to YouTube him. He was Gronk before Gronk. So Ben Coates, number 87 for the New England Patriots in the early nineties, uh, was just an absolute baller. And that I, in today's league, he's in the discussion for top five tight end every year he's in the league. Just bigger than everybody, more physical, more dominant, and could catch the ball and was super elusive with it. He was he was Gronk before Gronk. That's the best description I have for him. Um, anybody for you? Honestly, I kind of racked my brain. I, I could only name the top tight ends ever. I don't think not anything really changes for the Shannon Sharps, Tony Gonzalez's, the Gronks, you know, like. They would have been great in any era, I believe. Like, I don't know. I tight end. I, I don't have anything for tight end. If I'm being honest with you, I got nothing. That's, that's fair. 
Well, that's a great question. Thank you, Andrew, for, for writing in. We actually got another one from you here coming up in a minute. But uh, So one thing I wanted to stay away from, we kind of agreed, but I want to at least touch on it to give uh, this question some context. So this question comes in from Corey Wilson. Um, he wants a top five fantasy QB sleeper. I don't really know how to answer that question, but I will give you somebody that I think is a sleeper going into this season. Uh, Kyler Murray. He had a very good season last year as far as what to expect from a, a rookie. And now he gets DeAndre Hopkins. So definitely somebody that you'd want to look out for. You got somebody that's kind of uh, on the radar that you think just has a bounce back year, I guess. Um, honestly, I'm kind of going to manipulate this question about sleepers and kind of change it my own way here. Um, that's fine. If, if you're not in a league that has six points for a touchdown for quarterbacks and it's standard with four, unless it's Patrick Mahomes, I wouldn't recommend taking a quarterback in the first five to six rounds. Like, you have a few that you know are going to get touchdowns. You got your Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, and now maybe Brady this year. I mean, Lamar Jackson. But out of the year – Outside of your top five, you can find a starting quarterback anywhere. I don't know that anyone's really a sleeper anymore. I mean, every team's got a starting quarterback. Every team has, you know, at least two receivers that are decent. I mean, there's got to be 20 quarterbacks that can get you by in fantasy. I I don't even think it's a, it's a position worth looking into sleepers. You get your starting quarterback later in the draft. I That's just my opinion. Yeah, that, that's a fine opinion to have. I guess one more thing I would I would throw out. Um, watch out for Joe Burrow. There's a good chance he's probably going to throw a ton of picks, but I think he'll also throw a ton of yards because they're going to be behind in games. They're going to have to. They're going to be behind in games. And why else but throw it 30 times a game? And I think if Burrow's throwing it to a healthy A.J. Green, mind you, and Tyler Boyd, I don't they know. drafted I, T. Higgins. Yeah, he could have a – I don't want to, like, overstate it. He could have a very similar season of, like, a, a Jameis Winston where he threw for a ton of yards, gets like a fair amount of touchdowns, but throws a ton of picks too. Like, like a, maybe like a 4,200, 25 touchdowns, 20 picks. He could have that season. Yeah, um, I guess um, to answer the question, though, because I'm higher on this team a little bit than most, I think, uh, Daniel James – Danny Dimes for the Giants, I think, is a good sleeper pick. He's got plenty of weapons around him. He gets Saquon back. How many yards is he going to get from dump-offs to him? Uh, Daniel Jones, if you're looking for a late quarterback, I'm talking after the 10th round, they're going to be behind the games. He's going to have to throw a lot, and he's going to get a few running touchdowns this year too. So Daniel James will be my sleeper for you. But Okay. Third question comes in from Zach Roberts. Uh, this is actually a, a pretty intriguing question. What is the best, quote-unquote, fantasy football scoring format? His examples are full PPR, half PPR, or standard. Let's start there, and there's a second part to the question. If we're What's starting your... there, I'm 100% on board with full PPR. I love a point for reception. I think it's great. I mean... It adds a whole nother element to some receivers that don't get the yards and touchdowns, but have high volume catches. It makes different receivers, you know, every receiver specializes in something and it just opens up a whole new element to the game. I, and I think it makes wide receivers very important. 
And in today's NFL, with there being so many receivers being drafted now, so many receivers playing, so many passes being thrown, you start so many receivers, and I think it, I think it just makes it more fun for the whole fantasy experience to do full PPR. Okay. I 100% agree with you, but I'm going to kind of twist the question too because I don't want to just say exactly what you just said. If you're in a league where maybe you play for free and you play just for fun with some friends or maybe family or whatever, and you, or maybe you're experimenting as a commissioner and you're, you're messing around with the rules, something really fun to do, make sure you tell the people drafting beforehand that you're going to do it. But a couple of years back, I ran a league and we added first downs are a point. Just like PPR, which, by the way, I'm 100% for a full point for PPR, it completely changes the game when you give a player a point for a first down. And, uh, again, it's not something that you'd want to maybe do for a a paid league or something. But if you're looking for something for fun and you're in a a league with maybe eight to ten of your buddies and you're doing it for free just for bragging rights, try throwing it out there. It adds a completely different element. Um, This year it would have gave Mike Thomas an extra, like, hundred odd points or something, but, uh, it does make the scoring go up. Obviously, you know, you, uh, I think when I ran it, I did a quarterback for every, for every four, I think he got a quarter point for every first down because obviously he would get a lot of them. Receivers got a full foot, uh, point and running backs got a full point. So just something to think about. Um, it also but I, adds an element for short down backs. That's kind of fun. Yes, it does. It makes somebody like a, uh, LeGarrette Blunt a couple of years ago yeah. as maybe just a touchdown back or, or first down back. It gave him an extra point or something, you know, throughout the game. Maybe he gets three extra points that he wouldn't have gotten. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, second part of the question was, do we prefer four point quarterback or six point? So I'll let you go ahead and take this first. Well, I'm a fan of the more points, the better. And I'm also a fan of, simplicity all touchdowns should be six points across the board and also like i said earlier how i kind of said wait to draft quarterbacks it puts a higher emphasis of quarterbacks going in the first three rounds so there's more variety because if you're doing four points for a quarterback touchdown it's kind of like everyone's got the same thing you know you got to get your running backs and wide receivers early then the quarterbacks start going but now guys like Matt Ryan, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, you've got about six quarterbacks that could be legit first to fourth round picks, and it, it creates a lot of diversity. And uh, whether it's defensive, offensive, whoever did it, I, I am all for six points being a touchdown, period. Okay. Rather than simply agreeing with you, because I do, um, I'm going to twist the question again. What is the point of a four-point touchdown? Like, what is – I don't understand why people do it. I think they think, like, oh, we don't want quarterbacks to dominate the league. In the last decade, there's been, like, I don't know, three, maybe four terrific passing seasons where somebody's throwing over 40 touchdowns. It's not that big of a deal. It, if a player is having a dominant season, a.k.a. two years ago, Pat Mahomes threw 50 – let them have the dominant season in fantasy. When has more points ever been a bad thing? More points equals more fun. That's, I think we could all agree on that. That's where I'm at. Yeah, and just a little minor thing, because maybe, I don't know, Zach, if you're posing this question because you're making a league and you're, like, trying to get, you know, 
a little bit of help on how you should do the scoring format. I've, I don't know how you feel, Jeff, but I hate the idea that quarterbacks lose points for getting sacked. I just, I don't, I don't understand. Like maybe the running quarterbacks, it kind of like punishes them. But like if Phillip Rivers has a bad offensive line, I mean, I don't know why that's his fault in fantasy. I guess it goes into your calculation on who you draft, but I think losing points for getting sacked is just stupid. I don't know if that's traditional because I don't, I can't think of a league that I'm in that does that unless I'm unaware of it, but I agree with you. I wouldn't want that I, either. I, I thought it was, I thought it was standard that you lose a point for being sacked and you lose two for a pick. I could be wrong, but I thought both so, teams did that. The one thing I'm, I'm always very supportive on, and I know a lot of people don't check the settings to see if this is a thing, but I think a normal interception, which is usually minus two is fine. But if you throw a pick six, it should be it should be minus six in my opinion. You're giving a touch on the other team. I've always been a fan of that. I think it adds a completely different element that you know, if you got a quarterback trying to run the score up and you're, it, let's say you're up, you're up five points going into Monday night or I don't know ten points going to Monday night football. Your quarterback's having an average day, and all of a sudden he throws a pick six. Now you're losing. I, it adds a different element. I I've always liked it. I've always been supportive of it. I think it should match whatever the touchdown total is. So if you're in a league where it's four, a pick six should be minus four. Y- yes. Yes. So the so totality most, of a touchdown should, should match there. Yeah. You're giving it to the other team. Mm-hmm. So uh, another question coming in from Andrew Bradish. I really like this question, but I think it's a little easy. Uh, what's the goat quotation city for professional sports? I'll ask your opinion first. There's a few things to consider here. Yeah. Um, so, like, I'll start with my home team of Pittsburgh. Um, they, they have – they've got a healthy amount of championships across all their sports, but they don't have a soccer team and they don't have a basketball team. So, it, it's hard to even, like, consider a, a, a city that doesn't even have all the sports. Um, but although this, this could pose a fun question if you did your research and whatnot, it – it's imp- it's impossible not to pick Boston here. I mean, across football, hockey, basketball, and their baseball team, it's like, especially during our lifetimes, and if you go back even further to what the Celtics did early, it's like, to, to not pick Boston here is, I, you're fishing. You're fishing awfully hard. I'd love to hear anyone's argument for why any city besides Boston isn't the GOAT city, but I'll let you take it away. Um, a couple things to consider. Los Angeles. The Los Angeles area. Obviously, you know, it, he asked for what the, the city was, not the state, but just the city. So I'm going to use Los Angeles first. They have two basketball teams, two baseball teams, two NFL teams. I think they even have two hockey teams. They have at least one. They have two MLS teams, too. Two MLS the city is absolutely loaded with teams. Most of them have been an afterthought, to be fair. And outside of the Los Angeles Lakers, they've always been known kind of as a college town with USC. Okay. Then we go over to New York. New York has a ton of teams, lots of history. They're probably the most valued franchise 
with the Knicks being the Knicks being in the top five and the Yankees being in the top five and the Giants, are, I think, are in the top ten of most valued franchises. So it's very easy to argue for New York being that. But all arguments stop when we're talking about Title Town. If you have the nickname Title Town, what what else can you say? The Boston market has won on a staggering, staggering rate of championships, especially in our lifetime. There's, you can Google it now, Boston Parade Kid. He brings a side every, or a sign every year mm-hmm. to the parade. He's been to more parades than he has lived years in his life. So he's been to like 16 odd parades and he's like 13 years old. It's something crazy. Yeah. It, it's honest. It's it's bizarre. They have the nickname Title Town for a reason. I think we agree here. Mm-hmm. Great question though. Uh, next question comes in from Eddie McNally. He's looking for our Rookie of the Year contenders. Who you yeah. got? Do you want to start here with offense, defense, AFC, or NFC? How you wanna How you wanna go about it? Let's do. Offense for both AFC and NFC. All right. Um, offensive um, for NFC, I've got the wide receiver from San Francisco, Brandon Ayuk. Um, I think a ton of attention gets drawn to their running game, which is expected. And your primary threat, you have to stop George Kittle. Um, I believe Brandon Ayuk is going to be an absolute dog and he's going to be on a good team. He's going to get a lot of recognition. His his team's going to be going to the playoffs. They're going to win a lot of games. And um, I think Brandon Ayuk's going to have a fantastic rookie season. And for my AFC, I'm going with a guy I cannot believe made it to the second round. And he wasn't even the first pick for his team. Jonathan Taylor running back from Wisconsin goes to the Indianapolis Colts. They have T.Y. Hilton, but they don't have a ton of receiving threats. They have a top five offensive line. He's got breakaway speed. He's got power. He's a complete back. I like Jonathan Taylor, and I like Brandon Ayuk. So I'll pass it over to you for for the offensive. So AFC, in my opinion, it's going to be very hard for anybody else to get the spot outside of these two people. And I, I, I'm with you. Jonathan Taylor is going to be a baller, and he'll be in the discussion. But I, I don't think it, he'll be able to do enough to get what these two do because of their position. Joe and Tua. Quarterback, Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. And, wow, now all of a sudden I'm drawing a blank. Quarterback, L.A. Oh, Justin uh, Herbert. Justin Herbert, yes. I just think it'll be too much. I don't think Tua is going to play as much as people think he is. I think he won't probably won't even see the field till halfway through the season. I think Herbert will play probably earlier. Burrow's going to play the whole year. It's going to be very hard for him not to win Rookie of the Year. The only way he doesn't is if Herbert comes in and plays twelve games, wins nine of them, and they're a playoff team. You know what I mean? Yeah, even how I guess. Good their defense is. Yeah. I just even if Taylor gets a thousand yards this year which would be a great season for him. Let's even say 1,200. Let's shoot high. I think that it's not enough to unseat a Joe Burrow who's probably going to throw for 3,500 yards plus. Would you agree? Um, I, 
maybe because I I guess I feel like a lot of these voting records comes down to your team's record. That's fair. Yeah. And if Joe Burrow has over twelve picks and his team doesn't win more than five games, I think it would be very hard for him to win rookie of the year, even if he has a lot of numbers and touchdowns. Um, because of how high I am on the Chargers defense, if Herbert comes in and the Chargers w- were to win, like, I don't know, over eight games, and Herbert puts up really good numbers and takes care of the ball, I don't know. It, it is kind of tricky when it comes to quarterbacks because they get so much attention. They're the, they're the biggest position, but I don't know. I tried to think a little bit outside of the quarterback position here. Um, but, yeah, any, any of those three rookie quarterbacks would not be bad choices. Also, there's a lot of receivers. I mean, you've got you've got uh, all the Alabama receivers. Um, one went to the Raiders, yeah. Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy to the Broncos. You've got um, Justin or Justin Jefferson. Yeah, I said to the or we're talking AFC. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's just there's a lot of players. I mean, a lot of offense went this year. There's a lot of talent everywhere. So. I don't know. I just I'd like to see a running back get it, and I think Jonathan Taylor has the uh, the system that might allow him to do it. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. Let's move on to the NFC. I'll start now. Okay. Um, I think somebody you had just touched on, but I'm going to use somebody else. DeAndre Swift, running back from the Lions, I think has a a strong uh, candidate to get it, as well as um Justin Jefferson as well. I mean. Definitely two strong candidates. Um, what are we doing? We're just doing offense. Well, I was uh, I did offense for um, AFC and NFC, and I was okay. So that, that's right. Yes. So that's what I was getting at. So my my NFC would be DeAndre Swift, and potentially a Justin Jefferson is probably his runner up. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and do defense now. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, on defense for the AFC. Um, I like Patrick Queen, middle linebacker for the Ravens. You park him in the middle of that great defense that's good everywhere around him. He's going to have ample opportunity to make tackles all over that defense. And um, switching to the NFC, I really like Isaiah Simmons, and I think the Cardinals are going to be a really, really good team this year. Whether they make, you know, however big their splashes, I think they've added a lot of pieces, and Isaiah Simmons is going to line up everywhere on that defense, and I think he's going to have a lot of plays. So, Isaiah Simmons and Patrick Queen, I'm, what do you got? I'm going to be a little bit homerish here, but there's a lot of there's a lot to back it up. So, in the AFC on the defensive side of the ball, second round pick Kyle Duggar, Patrick Chung sitting out, they're old at safety anyway. Devin McCourty is pretty much the starter there. They got rid of Harmon. They don't really have a true strong safety to come in aside from Devin. Kyle's going to get a ton of time, and he's going to really learn from one of the best secondaries in the whole league. You have Devin McCourty. You have Stephon Gilmore. You have Jonathan Jones, J.C. Jackson. Their defense is very good, especially in the back half, and Kyle Duggar is going to be able to plug right in and play a ton this year. He has a very good chance of winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. As far as the NFC side, it's really hard to state anybody other than Isaiah Simmons. I mean, he's definitely my pick as well. Um, anybody else is going to have to put a strong case forward in order to to really unseat him. That's, that's just where I'm at. 
Yeah. Uh, next question. Zach Roberts comes in with a second question here. This is a really this is a fun one. What type of quarterback would you rather have and why in this current NFL? A dual threat or a pocket passer? Huh. You want me to take away or you want it first? I don't care. Let me let me go ahead and start. Let's get it. So again, we're going live here. We don't have any stats in front of us or anything like that. But I define pocket passer as a true shotgun, under center, drop back. He's throwing it 30 times a game, and he probably has zero designed runs. He might scramble a little bit, but he has zero designed runs. Okay, Where a dual threat is somebody who they're probably an average passer. They're, that's not really not their strong suit, but they have designed runs. They're truly a runner. They can scramble. You're Lamar Jackson's, okay? Other guys too, but... Unfortunately, we have yet to see a dual threat quarterback win a Super Bowl in the last decade, longer. It's it's not a proven formula. There's a lot of there's a lot of success in the regular season and in fantasy football and on the stat sheet and in the in the jersey sales and all that. And if you want that, totally cool. Okay? And this is somebody coming right now as a Patriot fan. I'm losing a pocket passer and gaining a dual threat in Cam Newton. Okay. Cam's going to sell a lot of jerseys. He's going to fill up the stat sheet. He's going to be super fun to watch. I just don't know if it'll translate to playoff wins. You know, Cam made a Super Bowl appearance, didn't play very well. Colin Kaepernick made a Super Bowl appearance, played all right. Lamar Jackson's dominated the last year and a half with zero playoff wins. There's just not a lot to back up a dual threat quarterback in this league still to this day. And if you're going to sit here and make the excuse for Aaron Rodgers as being a dual threat, then fine. But Aaron Rodgers is only a dual threat because he has scrambling ability to the sense of he can pick up a first down. Aaron Rodgers is not outrunning any linebacker or safety for a 30 to 40 yard run. Sorry, not happening. So the only guys in this league that could probably do that, Lamar, Russ, Kyler Murray, maybe Cam. We'll see what his speed's like. Um, I'm probably missing somebody. Josh Allen's a little kind of like that. I, I'm still going to take my traditional pocket passers in today's league. I'll still take 43-year-old Tom Brady. I'll still take Matthew Stafford. I'll take Pat Mahomes. I'll take Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'll take Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins. I just, that formula wins Super Bowls and has for the last 55 years. What do you think? Um, I feel like a lot of people listening might have said, like, well, dual threat in winning Super Bowls, Aaron Rodgers has, Russell Wilson has, Patrick Mahomes has. I Those guys, like, like what? When you think of a dual threat quarterback, you think of a guy who can run and his running ability opens up open passes to where he doesn't have to truly like pick apart defenses. And a pocket passer has to, you know, read defenses, audible at the line and beat with his arm. Obviously, in a perfect world, you'd like to have the perfect balance. You'd like to have the Russes and the Mahomes and the Rodgers, but those guys are kind of like X factors. I don't think they count for an everyday discussion. So with that being said, when 
when you want a quarterback for your team, you want to win everything. And when, when you want to win everything, you play in the playoffs against good defenses and other good quarterbacks. And if you have a dual threat quarterback versus a pocket passer, I feel like you can't trust them as much to win big games because they can be game planned around. Your pocket passers have to read defenses and audible out of plays and hot route, and that can beat any defense when it's good enough. I don't think your traditional dual threat quarterback does those kinds of things because on a day-to-day basis, typically they don't have to. So it's not something they they work on as much. Um I'd rather have the pocket passer. I mean, the dual threat quarterback. I mean, my whole career, I've watched Big Ben. I mean, he's the only guy. I, I mean, I've he's been the only quarterback I've really had. And, yeah, he can make some people miss in the pocket. And, you know, when he runs, it's ugly. But he's he's a pocket passer. And, you know, traditionally, I think that's better than having a dual threat. The running ability is nice. You know, week seven, when you need that third and four, and they scoot out of the pocket, and they get it, and it's sweet, and you get that one win. But can that consistently win all the time? I I just don't. Until we see it, I, I don't think it can. I think it can still be game-planned around too much. So I'm, I'm taking pocket passer, but that's a it's a good question. I don't think everyone will agree. I think that that's a room splitter there. But unfortunately, we both have pocket passer. Well, that was a fun change of pace. Thank you guys for your Facebook questions. We will be doing this again if uh, you guys liked it and if you guys have more questions for us. Uh, Brad, what'd you think? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I tried not to to read too much of the questions because I didn't want to like know answers beforehand. Kind of wanted to go off the top of the head, but obviously we're a little bit down in sports, and typically most people, you know, like the NFL. And right now we're not quite there yet. We went through all the division breakdowns. So I thought it was just nice to have a relaxing pod and maybe got you guys thinking and you'll get in the group and maybe answer some of the questions yourself and where you disagree or, you know, some things we might have missed. You know, we don't have it all ourselves. So I think it was fun. Yeah, we're going to we're going to kind of change up the pod a little bit here. We're going to bounce questions back and forth off of each other that we had came up with. Again, nothing here is going to be pre-rehearsed. It's going to be off the top of the cuff. And we're going to kind of try and stray away from NFL a little bit and make this kind of a, you know, a more diverse pod. And I'm going to just go ahead and start off the questions. You ready? Yeah, let's hear it. All right, here's mine for you. Ronaldo or Messi? Now, I know Straight the up. answer. I know the answer. We've talked. But I want the, I want the podcast to hear. So... When, when it comes to conversations like this, any two greats, um, I don't want to harp on why one's better or one's not because they're both so great. You can't, you can't nitpick it either career. Um, a lot of people, if you don't watch soccer or if you even do, you'll understand when I say a lot of people say Messi's the magician, Ronaldo's the machine. Uh, they both, their statistics are jaw-dropping. They're two of the five greatest players of all time. And in many opinion, they're one and two. Um, with all that being said, I take Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he has played for my favorite team before. I was not able to watch it. I was too young. I didn't really follow professional soccer at the time. But, um, he's just a physical specimen. He's not just a great soccer player. He's one of the greatest athletes in the world. And his speed, size, power... Um, 
it doesn't matter who his team is. He can take a high school team and beat a professional team. He just needs a ball. And um, you can say the same things for Messi if you're listening as a soccer fan. And I would never blame anybody for taking him. But for me, it's CR7, and uh, I don't think twice about it. Cool. All right. <clears throat> so I have a question for you. Neither of these guys are in the Hall of Fame. Who do you think should be more than the other, Barry Bonds or Pete Rose? Great question. So I have a, I have a response, and I didn't even you know it's it's ready, and here we go. So Pete Rose, the fact that he is not in the Hall of Fame is honestly just bizarre at this point, and it's just a political stunt towards him. I've even heard remarks that they're waiting till he dies so that he doesn't get to actually experience it. Um, Pete Rose is literally one of the top three greatest hitters, pure hitters, not necessarily for power, but just pure hitters um, for average in the history of baseball and did nothing to jeopardize his Hall of Fame playing career when he was playing, to our knowledge at least. And it came out that while he was coaching that he was gambling on himself to win. Not the other team, not throwing games, but gambling on himself because he knew as a coach, as a manager, that he would win more games than he lost, so therefore he would make money. Is that allowed? No. Is that wrong? Yes. Is that worth keeping him out of the Hall of Fame? Stop. Like, it's just, it's just crazy to me. It's just like, yeah, I don't want to get too heavy into this. Maybe we'll do this for another podcast. I thought about asking this as one of your questions, but we're not. But, like, are we going to keep Tom Brady out of the, the Hall of Fame for Deflategate? Like, come on. Like, this is, it's just, it's such a silly, minute detail that doesn't affect his actual playing career. That's my opinion. Pete Rose, Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds had Hall of Fame numbers before he allegedly started using steroids. But because you used them, you cheated yourself, you cheated the game in a different way than gambling. You weren't throwing the game. You were enhancing your own game to beat others. That is wrong. Therefore, I would hold him out. With that being said, I think there needs to be some sort of, this sounds really, this is, I don't maybe have the best explanation, but a steroid Hall of Fame. Sounds cheesy, but there are players that are good enough to be in the Hall of Fame. There's players that were good, that needed roids to be great, and then there's great players that used roids that became elite. For instance, Barry Bonds is one of the greatest hitters that's ever walked this planet without a single drug in his body. Didn't need roids. Used them, took his game to a next level. It's just, it's really tough. Yeah. So there's my response. So Pete, Barry Pete Bonds, Rose, yes or no? No, because of the structure. Yes, if they decide to maybe alter it a little bit. Okay. But it's a no for me. Gotcha. All right, this one's, uh, this one's tough. This one I have asked actually a lot of people, and I seem to get different responses, but ultimately it's just a head-scratcher. So you ready? Yeah. 
Would you rather have a burnt tongue forever or an itchy foot forever? Burnt tongue is really yeah. Like you just constantly have the feeling that you burnt your tongue. Yeah. Okay. And and I only say that's easy because for me, I'm such a picky eater. I can't eat a lot of healthy foods. Get rid of the taste buds. <laughs> just get rid I mean, of them. And if if I gotta pick one, there's at least a positive to having my my tongue burnt. There's no positive. It's fucking. Oh my goodness. Itchy foot. No way. It's funny. I was literally laying in bed last night and I had an itchy foot and I'm like, God, this is the worst. And I always, every time I get an itchy foot or burn my tongue, I always think of the two, like, which is actually worse. I hate an itchy foot. I would probably go with the burnt tongue as well, but okay. go ahead. Your turn. Um, It doesn't have to be the greatest. It could be the closest matched or similarity, but if you could see in their prime, any two NBA players, one V one, what two players would you like to see play each other? You know, this is a very intriguing question because there's players that I've seen play in their prime that I wish I could see them play another player in their prime. And then there's players that I just haven't seen at all that I wish I got to see play. Then there's players that I maybe came in second half of their career based off my age and maybe missed a good years or maybe I just wasn't as much of a fan as I am now. Let me start off by saying this. There's a couple of players that I wish I got to see in today's league so I could put them to an eye test. Will Chamberlain, Larry Bird, those are the first two that come to mind. Um, Kareem's probably the next, okay? And then Patrick Ewing. Those are the four that, like... And then, of course, Michael Jordan. But I've seen so many highlights of Michael Jordan that I have an eye test. The other players I don't have as much of highlights for. Only because so many people consider Michael Jordan the goat that there's just, there's just more exposure to him, even to a younger generation like myself and yourself. Um, with that being said, I would be doing myself a disjustice if I didn't ask for Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. Oh, okay. I, I just, I just feel like that's what we have to ask for, but but with that said, I think it would be very fun to watch players a Wilt Chamberlain versus Shaq. Bill Russell. Bill Russell, yeah, you know. Um, Larry Bird versus maybe Kevin Durant. Talking about handles, Allen Iverson versus Kyrie. Uh, Iverson versus Kyrie. Um, Curry versus Reggie Miller. Ooh. Yeah, Reggie Miller, obviously much taller than Curry, but like – Curry, Curry's range is half court. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant versus, versus Mike. But if I only get one, if I only get one, it's it's got to be LeBron versus Jordan. Okay. But I do wish – my favorite basketball player of all time is Tracy McGrady. I do wish that I got to watch Tracy from beginning to end. And I wish I got to see more of his prime years as my loyal fan than I am now. So it's, it's very, it's tough. It stinks. But. Gotcha. And back to you. So you got a couple different uh, NBA questions for you here. That's the first one. Harden, Kawhi, Giannis. You get to start a franchise with one today. Who are you taking? I'm starting a franchise? Yeah. So all of them are fairly young. All of them are 
probably top five players in today's league. All of them pretty much excel in different areas. Yeah. Maybe even one or two or three areas, but they're they all excel in certain areas. Who are you taking? I'm surrounding my team with one guy. Yeah. Um, it's tough because I do think Kawhi is the best player of the three. Uh, I know that's going to spark you know controversy at any rate, but I, I just I don't like his leadership. Been on so many teams, doesn't seem like the guy. So I I rule Kawhi out there. And here's what I struggle with. I think. I, I want to say Giannis because he, he's big. He can play three or four positions. He's great defensively. You want a drive and pass guy, but in my lifetime, and I think I can say this, even though LeBron James is the best player I've ever seen, I've never seen someone just say, yeah, I'm just going to score and then just do it. Like James Harden puts up so many points. And I, James Harden, anyone who knows me close, I don't like James Harden at all. Like the person, I just can't stand James Harden. Um, it's a really tough question, but I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to take Giannis. I think I'm going to take Giannis. Uh, drive and kick. He demands so much attention. He's lethal on the defensive and offensive side of the ball. I think he just came out and said once he's past half court, he can take two steps and dunk it. That's pretty crazy. Um but it's uh, it's got to be Giannis because he, he's versatile. And although he can't shoot the three ball, I think that's one of the easier things to find in the NBA now is guys who can shoot threes. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to take Giannis there, but I wouldn't fault anybody for taking the other two. I'm taking Atentaracumbo or however you say his last name. Yeah. All right. So I got one more for, I, I, I'm actually going to fire two because one's one's going to be pretty quick, and then I want to get a second one. But who is the best and who is the worst sports commentator, in your opinion? I have some examples. Stephen A., Max Kellerman, Doug Gottlieb, Colin Cowherd, Will Kane, Shannon Sharp, Skip Bayless, Nick Wright. I mean, I'm sure there's other ones out there. Who's, the, who's your go-to listen? And then who's the guy where you're like, I'd rather just – nails on a chalkboard you know for lack of a better term than listen to this guy worst takes so i'm gonna give you a couple here so my my favorite sportscaster period is colin cowherd the one of the reasons i like colin is because he translates real life things to sports his analogies are 100 percent. yes yes and the way that he – he just – it's really weird. Sometimes he'll start off – he'll start off a sports take with what's going on in his life or something that he's experienced or something that's going on in the world, and he literally translates it perfect so that you understand a real-life scenario to his sports take. The way that he does that is better than anybody else in the game. I don't know anybody else that does it as good as he does in that sense. And so I used to hate LeBron James. And the way that he the way that he rationalized LeBron James' move to Miami was just the way he puts it. And he you can look this up. He's pretty much been on record here. If you're a lawyer, 
and you're an ex outstanding lawyer. You're the best lawyer that around, okay? And you're part of a very small firm. You're probably not going to blossom. But if you're that lawyer and you join a much better firm, you're going to take your talents to next level. You're going to be the best lawyer that you can possibly be. You're going to get more cases. You're going to get more opportunities. You're going to be able to see more deals. LeBron James wasn't getting the opportunities in Cleveland when he went to Miami. He got those. The way Colin pitched that, it literally turned me into a LeBron James fan. I'm just like, you know what? Let's go. Like I, I now root for the, I now root for LeBron James where I didn't in the past. That's just one example, but Colin is definitely number one for me. Dude, does he have takes and does he, can he be extreme? Absolutely. But I don't know a single person in the game that doesn't have a hot take. You just you have to have some. Everybody's got some. Just to to weasel in here real quick, Colin's also my favorite. Um, but you, a lot of people might not know this. I, I actually watched the whole show from beginning to end. I don't just watch his pop-up, like, different takes. And something that I really like about Concord is every single week on Monday, at the top of his first hour, so at 1 o'clock every single Monday, he does a segment called Where Colin Was Right, Where Colin Was Wrong. And he admits, he's like, hey, in your face, you guys gave me foot pushback i was right on this and then he's also like you know what i freaking whiffed on that terrible take so a lot of people see an individual take and they're like jesus this guy's out of his mind or this or that but he does take that extra step in his show to admit when he's wrong and also reiterate when he was right when people were giving him pushback i think that's really important yeah so he's he's definitely my undisputed favorite i mean i'm I'm a weekly listener to his podcast. I don't watch the show as much. I, I listen to the show when I'm driving and things like that. Um, huge fan. Somebody that I absolutely despise. I honestly don't know how this person gets paid to talk sports. Max Kellerman. Going back to his very, at this point, very famous take that Tom Brady's going to fall off a cliff that he has a wet noodle for an arm, all this BS. That alone, it, it, it just, it has no ground. It has no stance. And I, I understand what he's trying to do, but you predicting something to happen every single year for 10 years, when it happens in year 10, that doesn't make you right. Just because you've been predicting this for 10 years in a row, doesn't make you right when it happens in year 10. You know, yeah. a, good, a good friend of mine, I'm not going to mention his name on the air, says that he actively pursued Tom Brady to be injured for like five or six years in a row. And when he got hurt in 08, he goes, yeah, I called it, but I've been calling it for a decade. <laughs> like, like you're not, you're not right when that happens. Just because you have this asinine take that will eventually come true. It's like me predicting somebody to die. Yeah, they're going to die. At some point, they're going to die. It could be 100 years from now. They're, they'll die. Does that make me right? No. It just, it's, it's an asinine take that's uneducated, isn't backed up by statistics, isn't backed up by real-life information, and sure as hell isn't backed up by film. Because since he's made that comment, he's won two Super Bowls. So we're, the comment alone is asinine. Last year, 
uh, towards late fall. It was almost like a, about a year ago. I just shared this on my Facebook. It was about a year ago now. He made the comment that Tom, uh, not Tom Brady, that Kobe Bryant is a bottom five player of all time. And basically went in on Kobe and basically said that the end of his career was an absolute joke and he was carried by different players and just shot a lot. And obviously Kobe's dead now, so he can't defend himself. But just like, just because you give a hot take doesn't make you a good analyst. That's my opinion. I feel like Max is so wrong so often that it's like Stephen A gets to pick his side and then Max Kellerman's paid to just play devil's advocate because he makes such stupid, stupid comments, especially since he's joined first take that I feel like he's just like paid to just, you have to be opposite of whatever Stephen A is just to create animosity. But I know there's some people out there, maybe some of you listen, it's like, man, I listen to first take every day. I love Max Kellerman. I don't, I don't know what you're doing because, like, I, I don't know. I don't like Max Kellerman. Here's, here's the thing. Like I said, every sportscaster that talks sports has a hot take. You know, um, Max Kellerman thinks Tom Brady's complete trash. Nick Wright thinks the same. He also thinks that Pat Mahomes is the greatest thing walking this planet. He thinks LeBron James is the GOAT. Uh, Colin's a big Brady guy. He's a big LeBron guy, but he's also pretty realistic as to when players maybe are not that player anymore. Um, you know, Colin has always been a very unsupporter of non-prototypical quarterback guys, Baker Mayfield, Tim Tebow, where Skip Bayless was like a huge Tim Tebow guy. So everybody has a hot take and everybody likes to follow it. And I'm okay with hot takes, but if it's uneducated and it's, and it's simply opinionated to be opinionated and to be different, I, I just can't with it. And that's, that's where fair. I'm at with that's where I'm at with Kellerman. So Max <coughs> Kellerman. Before we move on, <coughs> my favorite play-by-play guy because we you didn't really talk about that. Oh, Kevin well. Kevin Harlan. Uh, historically, he calls basketball. He's also been uh, dabbing into football the last couple of years. I absolutely love Kevin Harlan calling a game. He actually has one of my favorite calls of all time uh, when Tracy McGrady dunked over Sean Bradley, and he he calls. His famous call goes, he just shook the gravity right out of the building. And he always has those very unique, very descriptive, um, unrelated calls to a, to a something that's happening. I've always really appreciated that about him. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant, when he used to dunk on people, he always used to call – his famous call was, with no regard for human life. Like it was just like very passionate, very intense. That's something that I enjoy. Yeah, and every, everyone knows the worst is Booger McFarlane. We don't even have to – get into that so it's so bad all right what you got all right going back to basketball i just gave you three players that are basically top five in the league and cornerstones in this league i'm gonna give you some future players you're allowed to take one yeah this is gonna be easy go i ahead. don't know go ahead luca easy luca zion <laughs> zion okay <laughs> trey young okay john, john morant i I would take Luca before I took all three of the other guys. That's how good Luca Doncic is, and that's how good he will be that good for that long. Luca, I believe John Morant's explosive. I think Zion, Zion they're all going to be good. Trey Young's got limitless range. I I like everything about him. Maybe that was a little bit over the top, but I mean, like that's how kind of like easy. When you give me those four, you could say you could have Luca, or out of the other three, you could have any two. 
I would still take Luka Doncic. He's and here's here's the Steph Curry is the only other guy who's ever done this for me because I'm not a huge basketball fan. I like to you know I'm getting ready for bed. I'll turn on a game. Those are the only two guys I watch the NBA and I find myself like smiling or sometimes I'm even like laughing or giggling like you just want to cheer for Luka Doncic. Like name me one person who's like, oh, Luka, I can't freaking stand that guy. Not no one. Like I, I think that's a huge part of a team. He He's six seven. He doesn't look fast. He just kind of glides around. His footwork's phenomenal. He just splashing threes he's breaking all kinds of records for age and all this and that and it's just how do you not absolutely love Luka Doncic and that's no disrespect to the other three because I think they can all be good for a long time but Luka Doncic I mean I'm 25 right now when I'm 35 this dude's gonna be 30 and he's gonna be a top 15 scorer in the NBA and he's still just gonna be doing it and I believe he's a guy who who's probably going to be a lifer. Dallas is going to be Lucas' team, and he's going to grow that kind of legend status like Dirk. And I, 100% Luka Doncic. That, that's one of the easier questions I've ever been asked, and maybe someone else finds that difficult, but, oh, man. Like, I know you guys can only hear, but, like, if you guys could see the smile on my face, like, I'm not, I might be a Dallas Mavericks fan. Like, I don't even realize I just love Duke, like, Luka that much. It's, he's, the Mavs are on. I'm watching him. Like he's just, okay. he's just awesome. I love Luca. I, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of add another question here. Luca or Giannis? Luca. Wow. Okay. I, I would challenge you, because it's for a franchise player. Because of age, talent, status in the league, I don't know if you could name a guy that I would take right now over Luca. And I think the two. That might be the closest are Steph Curry and um, I just had him in my head. Um, yeah, no, it's only Steph Curry. I would think I would take Luke over. Yeah, Steph Curry. Durant? I think would be the... No, um, for, for a couple reasons. One, there's nothing I can say about Durant's skill. He is amazing. Height, physicality, scoring. Um, I can't, I don't really like Kevin Durant the person like he's just kind of like a he's just annoying honestly he's just kind of like a baby like I don't like Kyrie for the same reasons I think they're a perfect little baby match over there at their little daycare over in Brooklyn um but yeah there's other players I like sure I like Jason Tatum a lot I love Paul George but you're asking me pick one guy build a team around him it's it's Luca all day I think that's love luca okay your turn um this might be a little lengthy but i'm gonna ask it to you anyway in your heart of hearts deep down you're looking in the mirror you have to answer who's more responsible for the dynasty who gets more credit bill or brady all right so this is probably going to be the last question of the pod because this is going to be a while but it's a very simple answer you can make arguments for both, and they're both equally great. And before I even give my answer, if Tom Brady never suits up for the, for the Patriots, Bill Belichick has at least one Super Bowl ring, probably two. 
I think that's a realistic number. I think he probably snags two in the next 20 years. If Tom Brady suits up for any other league, any other team, I'm sorry, he's winning. I think he wins three, minimum three. Tom Brady is, was, will be the greatest quarterback that's ever walked this planet, in my opinion. And it's like saying, you're basically saying, hey, Peyton Manning or Tony Dungy. It's Peyton Manning because Peyton Manning is a better quarterback than Tony Dungy as a coach. For me, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick is the greatest coach I've, I've, I've ever seen. I can't speak on the older day coaches like Vince Lombardi and all them, but I, 20 years, 20 years. And I've seen the Patriots in all different kind of limbo ways. I've seen them with, with good defenses and with bad. I know a lot of people don't realize that, but the Patriots have had bad defenses. Um, I've seen them with good running games and non-existent running games. I've seen them with elite receivers and no receivers to speak of. I've seen them with good tight ends and no tight ends to speak of. I've seen them with good offensive lines, efficient offensive lines, and bad offensive line play. not saying their offensive linemen were bad, but they've had bad offensive line play in in the past. They've never had bad coaching, so to speak, except for a few times. And one of those times was very recently, Super Bowl 52, where Tom Brady throws for 500 yards, never punts the football, and they lose. That's a coaching problem. I can't ever think of a game, especially not a playoff game, where Tom Brady was the sole reason they lost. It just doesn't happen. Matter of fact, Outside of Super Bowl 52, fun fact for you here. So he's played in nine Super Bowls, eight of them. He drove them down for the game tying score, or I'm sorry, for the, for the lead or the win. Two of those, he wasn't able to get the win. The Giants ended up coming back and taking it. But the dynasty itself is Tom Brady. And the reason, the main reason is because Bill Belichick, what he demanded of Tom Brady, Tom Brady sold that. So, for instance, I can only coach a player so much, that player needs to buy in and then coach the players as well. And with your best player is as coachable as Tom Brady is, that's one of the sole reasons that team is so good. So at the end of the day, coaches coach, players play? Players win, coaches lose, yes. Um, You know, and you can't overcome bad coaching. I'm a a believer in that, but I will tell you this. I don't care what coach Tom Brady had. Tom Brady would have succeeded. He just, he has the heart of a champion, a true champion. Um, You know, I guess this is a totally different conversation, different argument, but a lot of people are probably listening to this and be like, Tom Brady's not the best quarterback that's ever played. And I, I challenge you with one question. What would Tom Brady need to do to be the greatest quarterback that ever played? And if you can come up with a rational answer, I challenge you to either private message me, direct message me, find me, call me, text me, 
come to my house and relay that message to me that what Tom Brady needs to do to be the greatest quarterback of all time, because you would find yourself in limbo trying to correlate what that looks like. Well, you're like, well, Jeff, I think Tom Brady needs to win five more Super Bowls. How silly do you sound? You know what I mean? Hey, yeah. Jeff, I think Tom Brady should have never lost three Super Bowls. Really? Well, I wish that Joe Montana went to three more Super Bowls. There's no, no, a lot. There's a lot you can say. There's a lot you can do. You know, and the win-loss record in just a single game is very is very uneducated to me. Like you're gonna you're gonna take Tom Brady's three Super Bowl losses as more more important than Peyton Manning's seven one and duns in the playoffs where he lost on either wild card weekend or divisional weekend. It's just little things like that. There's a lot you can point, but Tom Brady for the better part of that 20 years was the driving force was the dominant force. I could make plenty of arguments in a 20 year period where Tom Brady without Tom Brady, that team wasn't a playoff team. And I know a lot of people are like, well, Bill Belichick succeeded in 2008 with Matt Castle. Okay, so in 2007, what were the Patriots? The most dominant offensive team that ever played the game. They returned almost the exact same offensive roster, and Matt Castle struggled to put up. He had less than 30 touchdowns. He struggled to put up. I think he had 26. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But you had half what Tom Brady did. You had half. You threw more picks. And you had half the touchdowns with the same offensive pieces. If that's not Tom Brady, what is it? Yeah. What is it? Please, please find me. Please find me where it's not. To, and God forbid the people that are listening to this and they'll be like, well, Tom Brady's a system quarterback. Everyone is a system quarterback. Every player in this league has a system built around them. And if you don't think so, you're lying to yourself. If Tom Brady's such a system quarterback, why wasn't the system in place before Brady got there? Okay. Why wasn't Bill Belichick winning Super Bowls without Tom Brady? Why isn't the Patriots the favorite to win this year? They have Cam Newton, a former league MVP. Nobody's talking about them in the discussion to be the favorites to win the Super Bowl. Why? Because Tom Brady's no longer under the helm. Even last year, when New England had no offensive weapons outside of Julian Edelman, you had very, very, very poor offensive line play, and they were in the bottom of the league in yards per carry, so they had no running game. Where was the system then? If Tom Brady struggles, which he did last year, I'm, I'm very open about that, where is the offensive line? Like, where is yeah. the system? Where is the system this year in Tampa when Tom Brady put me on record, throws for 30 touchdowns, less than 15 picks, that's less than one a game, okay? Because – Fun fact, everybody that plays for Bruce Arians in their first year throws a career-high picks. He's never thrown six – I think he's thrown 16 once in his entire career. He won't have a career-high in picks. He'll throw more than 30 touchdowns. What, where's the system? You're going to be like, well, he has Pro Bowl receivers. Gosh, so does – there's a lot of play, quarterbacks yeah. that have Pro Bowl receivers. We're not going to pick this apart. 
you can you can nitpick anybody and I guess so you answered the question fairly quickly. It's Tom Brady. Over it is Bill Tom Belichick. Brady. It is. And and it kind of turned into a little bit of a, a goat discussion here. And um mm, I, I, I don't I, I real quick, there isn't a goat discussion. Right. But you there I mean you just one. you're just you're basically just giving reasons now why Tom Brady's the goat. It went more than who's responsible for Patriots Dynasty. And and I get it because he's on your team, he's your guy your whole life he was and it's probably very easy to get riled up to defend him and you're making a ton of valid points I think a lot of times when we get talking about goat and like Colin Coward kind of said it's more than just on the field it's kind of like your your stature everything you did there's more than just one thing that goes into it I think the question that we can have less debate about is so Tom Brady I'm a Steelers fan. I think everyone knows my background about it. Uh, he's beaten me more times than any team probably has. Tom Brady is the GOAT. But if I was told I get to start my team with one quarterback ever, I don't think anyone would be mad if I said Peyton Manning. I don't think anyone would be mad if I said Dan Marino. If someone said you can start your hockey team with any player, Wayne Gretzky is the GOAT. But if I say Gordie Howe or Mario Lemieux, or forgive me if I'm forgetting names, you can't really fault me. If Muhammad Ali is the GOAT, which he is, and I wanted to have one fight for my life, I had to pick a winner, and I picked Mike Tyson or Floyd Mayweather, could you really be mad? Michael Jordan is the GOAT. But if I said I get to pick one player all time to go win me a game, and you don't know who the rest of the roster is, and I say LeBron James, you can't be mad at me. So I, I think there are definitive GOATs. I don't think that is up for debate. Tom Brady is the GOAT. But does that mean, in your opinion, you you couldn't take a different quarterback? I don't think it does. I think that's where the conversation needs to be re redirected. Arguing that if Tom Brady's not the GOAT is a waste of breath. It's the same thing against Jordan. I love LeBron James, and I do think, personally, he's a better all-around basketball player. He's not the GOAT, and it would still take, honestly, quite a bit for him to be the GOAT. Like, I just think there's just this untouchable legendary factor about <laughs> goats, which is a weird sentence taken out of context. But there's a weird untouchable thing about goats. And Muhammad Ali, Gretzky, Tiger Woods, even though he doesn't have the most majors, Tiger Woods is the goat. It's not Jack Nicholas, it's Tiger. There, there's just these players that they have reached immortality. And something it it's just it's something that doesn't happen all the time you can't just have a goat and then the next generation it's a new goat and then the next generation there's a new goat it's there's always going to be a best player at any given time but that's what makes the goats special and clearly tom brady is the goat there are plenty of other players that you could say oh, i'd rather have this guy or that guy and i'm not going to say you're wrong there there's plenty of legends there can only be one GOAT, and we all know that Tom Brady is the GOAT of the NFL. It's That's not so – clo Closing remarks here. We're going to wrap it up. It's hard to say that the coach is more responsible for the dynasty when the coach had the greatest player of all time. That's my opinion. And as a counterpoint to that, why doesn't anybody say that Phil Jackson is more responsible for the titles in Chicago than Michael Jordan? You know why? Because Michael Jordan is the GOAT. 
So Phil Jackson goes to L.A. and wins five more. He's still not considered in the conversation. Kobe or Shaq is considered to be more responsible for those titles. Players drive championships. Greg Popovich is one of the greatest coaches in basketball history. But now that he doesn't have players, he he struggles to make the playoffs without Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, David Robinson. Now that he doesn't have those Hall of Fame type players, he can't get back. Coaches are great. You need them to win. But you can't possibly say that the coach is more the coach is more pivotal to the dynasty than the greatest player that's ever laced up a pair of boots in the football in my opinion. Yeah. And so it, that, Yeah. Go ahead. No, you're good. I just you know, everyone kind of knows this kind of the pod took a little turn. I think it's good to hear, listen to, if you guys are bored, it's definitely entertaining if anything. Um, yeah. But Chuck Knoll had Ter- Terry Bradshaw or, you know, every dynasty, the quarterback's the most important position. And that's why every dynasty has one. Terry Bradshaw, Joe Montana into Steve Young. And then you had Troy Aikman for Dallas when they were winning theirs. I mean, every quarterback's there. And, of course, they have great coaches, Chuck Knoll and all, all those other guys. No, don't even need naming. But longevity is something that should be looked at in a career. And for them to do it over 20 years, I mean, it's remarkable, honestly. Absolutely it is. And it's remarkable that we uh, just busted out a super long pod for you guys. And – couple of tips you know i nobody really said that they enjoy hour-long pods but nobody else really said that they don't so here's the thing you know we kind of split this one up in two where the first part of the pod is mailbag questions the second part of the pod was me and brad just kind of picking each other's brain on random you know ifs or what's or sports questions related but feel free to you know hey one day i'm going to listen to the first half one day in the second half you know you don't have to listen to a podcast all in one listen. You know, I, I don't want to have to feel bad for putting in on a long podcast. If we feel that we're giving you guys good content, we actually have several more questions to ask, but we're going to cut it short today. And hopefully you guys like this. Cause we'd like to do it again. I think I had some fun. Brad, do you have some fun? Yeah, I had a lot of fun and uh, we appreciate those of you that put in questions. I know maybe it's not easy to think of those questions, but I mean, if there's ever, if you're with your, your friends or whatnot and something gets brought up and it splits a room, feel free to put it on the on the Facebook page because not only will we debate it, but, you know, feel free to debate other people's questions. Or if you heard any questions you feel like commenting on in the podcast, you know, put that in the Facebook feed. We're, we're, we're really trying to shoot this podcast to not only do we get our fill of talking sports for everyone to hear, but we kind of want everyone else to feel a part of it too. Cause a lot of these people, a lot of you guys who are listening to the podcast, we see you guys on a regular basis. We have each other's phone numbers. We hang out, we might see each other at work or, you know, at different events. And it's like, it's fun to spark this stuff. And hopefully when we talk about different things or questions, we bring up stuff that, you know, sparked the, huh? Oh, I didn't really think of that. You know, not that it'll change your opinion, but that's all this is for is to get us all more engaged in sports and more engaged in each other's thoughts. And, you know, everybody likes debating. It's just, it's, it's fun. It's fun for us. I hope it's fun for you guys. And I hope you enjoy listening to us ramble. Yeah. With that said, you guys, thank you for another episode and thanks for uh, joining in and Brad, I'll see you next time. 
Yeah, we'll see you. And if you're driving, drive safe.